You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Unfortunately, I have nothing smart to say. You're listening to Cornfield Theology. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here, pastor of Redemption Hill Church, located in the Des Moines metro, coming at you with another edition of Cornfield Theology. Thanks for taking interest in uh, our podcast. Uh, if you like this podcast, hey, do us a favor. Would you share it with your friends, share it on social media, send an email, however you do. Uh, that'd be great. You also can find us on Apple Podcast, uh, Spotify, all the relevant outlets where you can uh, listen to podcasts. So thanks for taking interest. Today we're talking about something called... Well, call it several things. Perseverance of the saints, perseverance of the saints, or preservation of the saints, perseverance of the saints, assurance of salvation, how all these things are connected. I'm with my friend, Dean Klein. Dean, how you doing? Good. What's new with you, man? What's new in the world? Um, well, we've been sitting here for probably about an hour trying to get these technical the, issues figured out. I'm yeah, glad we, I don't we never figured it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we, uh, we had our main man, Logan, here. Um, he's sitting next to me and, uh, we couldn't get the third mic up. So he'll be chiming in every now and then. Uh, many of you have heard Logan plenty on Cornfield Theology in addition to Dean as well. So both of them are, uh, frequent uh, contributors to this particular podcast. So Dean, um, I don't know, maybe about two months ago we were talking, we had, what was the last podcast we did? Justification? Justification by faith. So there, that really is connected to the topics at hand today. Yeah. Kind of a- and we wanted to keep kind of the conversation going. Um, let's let, before we get into the specifics of today, you know, how do these um, big theological words connect, and how are they distinct? Let's 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 get a, big, a little overview here. We are firmly within the Reformed tradition, so when we talk about um, some of the things they're speaking out of, it's it's that. So we talked about justification. When we talked about justification, we were thinking it from a Reformed, a theologically Reformed context, correct? Correct. And so uh, we don't want to, no one's going to be surprised to hear us talk more about um, assurance of salvation from a reform perspective. Right. So who would be some of your go-tos just before we get into some of the texts and some of your thoughts? Who are your go-to theologians from the past? And then Logan, if you have any as well, that have, that have helped shape your thoughts when it comes to this particular topic? Um, of the past, um, well, the, t- the topic or, or your current pastor's fine. It's cool. <laughs> Certainly. Um, well, contemporary-wise, um, theologians like R.C. Sproul have impacted me greatly. Um, Sean Power, <laughs> uh, Logan Kane. Um, You're too generous. <laughs> and, uh, of course, John Calvin and, and many of the, the great Puritans like Richard Sibbs on these topics. Um, and... In fact, it was uh, John Calvin who emphasized the importance when it comes to the topic of assurance of salvation, for instance, that we put our eyes upon Jesus Christ, who is the mirror of our election. In other words, he, he, he kind of warned against the dangers of looking inwardly too much that we needed to base our assurance upon the promises of Christ. And, of course, a proper understanding of justification by faith and being um, saved on the basis of the life of Christ, his obedience, his atoning sacrificial death on our behalf, paying for our sins, his resurrection from the dead. Our assurance is rooted in Christ, It's not rooted in our faith, though we must have faith. Our faith is weak. It's not rooted in our works, but works certainly flow out of that faith. But ultimately, our assurance um, objectively and primarily is in Christ. And that's where you have to start. That's our identity. And then there's an existential or subjective element to our our assurance as we get into this uh, the, the understanding of assurance but the point of the the point of the bible the point of the new testament the point that 
I didn't realize growing up as a Roman Catholic, for instance, as we talk about the debate and the divide between Catholicism and uh, historic Reformed theology, is I didn't know that one could have an assurance. And yet you go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, and the Apostle John writes those words. He says, these things I have written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Nothing could be clearer. I would say my uh, theological influences uh, was R.C. Sproul as well. I have his audio version of the Foundations classes, which is basically like a small seminary class that just went systematically through the Bible, and it was amazing. So it talked about uh, preservations of the saints. Uh, the other major influence, I would say, is uh, James White, who is an apologist who has tackled that question many times. And I'd say I got like a lot of my like main like scriptures of like, oh, those are powerful scriptures to go to on this topic from listening to his debates. Mm -hmm. And then kind of tying into that, that idea that you were talking about of, you know, our assurances on the blood of Christ, there was a really powerful message. I forget the pastor that was giving it, but he had this beautiful illustration of, you know, you had two Jews on the day of Passover and they both put blood on the door. And one was really scared because he's like, you know, I only have the one son. You know, I'm, re I'm really fearful. And the other one, and he says to the other, but you have like, you have many sons. So like, it, it, you know, maybe if you lost one, it would be okay. Um, and then the other asks is like, but you had faith. You put, you put blood on the, um, blood on the door. Oh yes, of course they did. And when the angel of death passed over, which one of them lost their son? Well, neither of them. Because it wasn't the strength of their faith, it was the blood of the lamb. So, I heard D.A. Carson give that same illustration in a message, and it's, it's actually right on, spot on. Now, speaking of Sproul, the thing that makes the, um, the doctrine of, our, of assurance of salvation so messy, so muddled, R.C. Sproul mentioned that there are four types of people out there. He said that four categories of people. There are those who, who are not saved. Mm -hmm. They know they're not saved. They, don't, they just want to live it up, and right. they're going to be in hell with their friends, you know, they're playing cards and having a party. Then there's the second category, those who are saved, but they don't know it. It's the... It's those who struggle with assurance, but sure. they're genuinely trusting in Christ because ultimately that existential, that subjective aspect of assurance waxes and wanes right. according to the Westminster Catechism. So for this to cut the other way, one salvation is not dependent upon your understanding of assurance. Right. Absolutely. Because right. again, this, this, this pushes us back to Christ. Absolutely. Right. So the third category says are those who are saved and know it. They have a good, solid, healthy, mm -hmm. full assurance, although, again, no, no assurance is perfect. Right. The, the, the basis of assurance is perfect. Christ's work right. is perfect. Right. It's sufficient. Yeah. But our, our trust in that is inadequate. Mm. The fourth category is what really muddles things. It is those who aren't saved, but, quote, know they're saved. Right. In other words, they think they're saved. They're, 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 and, it's be and they think they're saved on a basis of whether perhaps they think they're saved because they prayed a little prayer or they walked an aisle or they raised their hand or they've done all of these nice works that we talked about you know, earlier before the podcast. We were talking about people engaging in, mm -hmm. in dramatic works for Christ. Right, right. Um, and they're trusting in these things and they have a faulty basis. Those are the toughest people to reach. They are because... One of the one of the challenges we with that fourth category is that we have to understand why people do things. You know, we talk about a lot of people who do works. I know a lot of people who say they, you know, they go to church, they do all the right things. At the end of the day, they do it to put on the performance. They do it to check the box. They do it for themselves, right? It's just you know, Christianity is therapeutic for them, or whatever. You know, there's there's some other basis of their of their works that is not Christ. And that's very problematic. And, that, and that's, I would say, of the four categories, well, of, of all the categories that are not uh, an individual who is trusting in Christ and knows they are assured in Christ, that is, to your point, the hardest people to reach. 
Right. Because there's a lot of unwinding. And we're not we're not saying that to cost doubt into people's minds. We're saying that because that's just the truth. That's just the reality of of um, church going culture. Right. You're going to have folks like that. Um, and of course, Jesus was never shy about uh, afflicting the comfortable, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Uh, he was never shy about making people uncomfortable and questioning. But he also he also repeatedly offered hope and assurance and uh, security for those who would put their trust in. Let me give you a few verses, just for instance, yeah. for example. Yeah. Uh, John chapter three, uh, verse thirty-six. Jesus says, "He who believes." in the Son has eternal life. John 5, 24, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death unto life. By the way, the Gospel of John, we talked about the, the theological concept of surge salvation is like the place to go all throughout the Gospel of John, I think. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of John early on in my in my uh, faith was the book of the Bible that had moved me toward Reformed theology because of some texts that you're reading, including obviously assurance of salvation. It's a great it's a great gospel. I always direct people uh, to read John first. Um, I mean John 10, 27, 30, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand like again it is the, the 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 work of god through christ in which we are assured of our salvation period god has us notice the promises in that passage yeah, too i mean he i mean it, is there anything that's stronger than god that can snatch us out of his hands hypothetically is there I mean the, the the phrase he gives unto them eternal life the very the very essence of eternal life is eternal in nature it's something that we currently possess if we have a saving trust in Christ and he says that they will never ever perish so so quick question for you um at the beginning of this podcast I'd use some different terms assurance of salvation perseverance of the saints preservation of the saints all those um, ideas get thrown around uh, let's let's try to show how they fit together does that make sense like a puzzle like for example perseverance of the saints right is like I'm going to persevere by the grace of God right the, the, that's the term that, that we that's the most would, common that's the that's like as if we discuss uh, historic uh, the doctrines of grace for instance yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. the tulip uh, total depravity unconditional election right. limited atonement or definite atonement like we call it uh, irresistible grace and then perseverance of the saints but we I prefer preservation I do too yeah. and why I, I'll but, let you but they're both why. but they're both true well Logan wants to chime in here so Logan, Go ahead. Logan what do you got to say about that before you guys get into why you like preservation of the saints more to as my like sort of like little defense of perseverance of the saints stop it you can't do that to us yes i can yes i can i think of paul when he talks about running the race you know that is perseverance there is an aspect of perseverance to our faith we are to run the race faithfully and it's a marathon not a sprint so i do see that it is still a true statement that there is perseverance of the saint i i'm not saying it's untrue what I'm saying is when it, when we talk about assurance of salvation and the why, we first look to Christ. So I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying because what, what I don't want to do is create a, a mindset of antinomianism. Oh, God's got me, and then all of a sudden I can do whatever I want, however I want, and live however I want. There's a sense that we are to persevere. To your point, Paul calls us to, to run the race, right? We are, to, we are to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're to live in a manner worthy of Christ, right? Those, those truths exist for our life, which call us, that beckon us, and, which, and, and because, of, because, I would argue, because of assurance of salvation, we desire to persevere. But in terms of, I think, a more neatly understanding of the doctrines of grace, and, and even when we think about tulip, the focus is always first on what Christ has done. Absolutely. So that would so, be the distinction. But I think it's a good point because to, to what you said, it's most common to hear, you know, 
Perseverance of the Saints, and we're arguing preservation is probably more accurate accurate to describe the discussion we're having here. I use them interchangeably, Logan, and 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 I, we, Sean and I had a conversation earlier off tape, and I I made the point that you have a text like John ten twenty seven through twenty nine that we just read. Clearly, the emphasis is on preservation of the saints. It's from God's angle, but then you have a text like Colossians one twenty three where there seems to be conditionality, which emphasizes more of our role or the, the perseverance of the saints. Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, that idea that you continue, you know, Jesus says, he that endures to the end shall be saved, that idea. So I think they're both true. They can be used interchangeably. But ultimately, at the end of the day, our perseverance is rooted in God upholding us. Yeah. Kind of like Psalm 63, 8, which says, um, My soul clings to you, O God. Thy right hand upholds me. That's good. I got one point, then Logan's going to chime in here. Uh, I was just thinking I have an example of um, these two ideas that working together. These two ideas being um, w- we are persevering and God is preserving us, right? So it's like looking out of a window. I have a window. I'm on the inside of the house. God's on the outside of the house. I look out of the window and I see God um, by his grace through Christ assuring me of my salvation, preserving me until the end. God's looking in and he's asking the question, are you walking in a manner worthy of the gospel? What are you doing to reflect the grace of the gospel in, in your life? I don't know if that picture helps people, but that's just kind of what came to my mind as we were having this discussion. So what are your thoughts, Logan? Yeah, I absolutely agree. We need to always remember that even with perseverance, it, it's really God's God's work. Because I'm reminded of uh, John MacArthur where it's like, if I could lose my salvation, I would. Like, if it's yeah. up to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, if it was actually on us, we would screw it up. So even in if, even if you're to take the term perseverance, it's like, it, it's God's doing. He's the reason. It's his grace that allows you to persevere. It, it is a gift of God, yes, indeed, that God is the author and perfecter of our salvation, that the very essence of faith that I have, the gift, it is a gift of God. The repentance that I had at the moment of salvation is a gift of God. God mm-hmm. grants them repentance. Mm-hmm. God gives us perseverance. None of us would persevere to the end on our own. So, yeah, it's all of God, and so we give God the glory. That's why, you know, when Piper did that teaching on Tulip, he actually called it the glory of God in salvation. That's how he titled it. Here's a great quote I, I, I pulled from R.C. Sproul, and I would say to anyone who wants to learn more about Reformed doctrine in particular, but this particular topic, I love Ligonier's website, and they give good definition to, to important theological terms and ideas. Here's what Sproul said. Um, writing to the Philippians, Paul says, he who began a good work in you will perfect it to the end. That's Philippians 1.6. Therein is the promise of God that he starts in our souls. What he starts in our souls, he intends to finish. So the old axiom is, Sproul continuing, the old axiom in Reformed theology about the preservation or perseverance of the saints is this. If you have it, that is, if you have genuine faith, are in a state of saving grace, you will never lose it. If you lose it, here's the key. If you lose it, you never had it. <laughs> yeah. You know? The, it, yeah, First John 2, 19, um, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Yeah. For if they were of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. That's in the same epistle where John wants us to have assurance, but he's also distinguishing uh, the true and the false. There's a great verse. I want to read this in Jeremiah 32, 40, as we're talking mm, about this this idea of God's preservation and, and our perseverance. This one is really powerful, and it's, and it's, it's, it's talking about the new covenant, um, but it's an Old Testament verse, a promise. Jeremiah 32, 40, he says, God says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them. That's a promise from God. To do them good, and watch this, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. Mm. Yeah. That's the exact, so that stands in juxtaposition against First John two nineteen where they went out, but they were really weren't of it. Yeah. Is there any, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing up a softball for you guys here. Are there any parables taught by Christ 
in which help us to think through um, the preservation or perseverance of the saints. You can use either term here. And because and the reason why I, I'm throwing the softball out is because I imagine someone's listening and they have stories in their head or perhaps they're listening and are, and, and are indeed the type of person who, you know, said at one point they were a Christian or they, they, they heard, they listened to a pastor for years, you know, preach the gospel. Even I, I, guys, I got to tell you, one of the most heartbreaking things that I see within the church is that you have a pastor and then he's an apostate and people are like, well, what happened? Right. I, I learned from this guy and all of a sudden he's denying the Christian faith. I, a few examples come to mind. Um, I think Rob Bell would be one of them. Who's Joshua Harris? Well, you know, uh, you mentioned John MacArthur earlier. And Not an apostate. <laughs> no, no, no. John MacArthur has been a faithful servant for many years. Many years. John. He's in his 80s. Yes. In fact, I met one of his students last Sunday at our church. Yeah, he came. I uh, graduated great. the master's seminary. Yeah. And John... He's working will, at Grace to you, I think. Yeah, John will tell you that some the one of the uh, ministers that signed his ordination paper many years ago ended up as a a a teacher in philosophy at Cal Berkeley and abandoned the faith, yeah. got into, I think, some alternate religion and got into a sex scandal up there at the university, totally fell from grace. There's a, there's a, there's a contemporary one that I thought of when you mentioned that question. Yeah. Has any, have you heard of Roy Clemens? No, not that they, no. He was, he's still alive today, but he might be in his 70s, 80s. He's from England. And many years ago, he was like, he had a family, he was a pastor. He was like a, a, if you will, just for a parallel, contemporary parallel, he was like the John Piper of the United Kingdom. Mm. And he left his wife, he left his family, and he, he tried to hold on to his faith, and he, he left his family for another man. Yeah. And it was shock, sent shockwaves across England and even America. He was very popular in America. Yeah. I've, I've got some of his messages yeah, on Dave. Sure. Great expositor. Yeah. I think it's important to, to think this through biblically because a lot of people who have been the recipients of of what seemed to be faithful preaching, and, and God indeed could have used that teaching, but a lot of people look at that and, and then it causes them to question their assurance. And that's what... The doctrine of preservation of saints, uh, or and or perseverance of saints, we're using them yep. interchangeably, yep. is meant to do is to enhance or to embolden the assurance of our salvation. Yeah, that's there, the link. But go ahead. No, I, I think it's just important to really slow down and, and allow people to understand the importance of this doctrine in light of the unfortunate things that we see within the church. Well, your softball question, you might be referring to the parable of the sower. That's exactly right. Matthew chapter 13. And I think Logan's pulled it up as well. So you want to read it, Logan? I'll have, I'll have you two talk through this parable um, and then talk about how this particular parable applies to the things that we see within the church. Does that make sense? So, so, Logan, do you want to go ahead and read it? And then, Dean, you can chime in and help us help us to really put some substance into this in terms of uh, biblical framework for when we have that pastor that we've been faithfully listening to for five years, and all of a sudden he says that he's walking away from the faith because he's an atheist or whatever. All right. Get my uh, reading voice on. <laughs> a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds, fell, uh, fell along the path, and birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no roots, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew and choked them. Other seeds fell on soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Who has ears? He who has ears, let them hear. Um, and then Christ goes on to give an explanation of of that to his uh, to his disciples. Uh, to you, it has been given to know that the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given for the one who has uh, more will be given and the one who have an abundance. Uh, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Oh, where's the actual parable explanation? Huh. Verse 18. I Thank so. you. <laughs> Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. 
Uh, this was uh, this is what was sewn along the path. So, uh, as for the one sewn on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises uh, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what is sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful as for what was sown on good soil this is the one who hears the word and understands it he uh he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold another 60 and another 30. well this is one of my favorite parables because it's so clearly explained by jesus exactly what it means like i think we can really think about individuals that we've either met or heard of and see how they fit in those different soils like when i was doing street evangelism for bethany um, we would have people that would legitimately like sit down listen to us and talk to us but they did not receive it like it just let the word pass them by and they went on their day they're very respectful um but that is where the birds come and snatch it away you know um we have people in the church that have seemed to have received the word and have seemed to believe, at least for a time. But then after a while, either hardship came up where they could not reconcile, you know, their faith, their supposed faith uh, with the issues at hand. And then they fall away uh, and others get tempted away by, by the world. I think we can all truly think of examples of exactly those types of seeds. And the only true seed of faith is the one that is sown in good soil. Yeah, and, and that's the one that bears some sort of fruit. There's right. no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Um, it, it reminds me of another passage in John chapter 6 where it talks about how many disciples followed Jesus. Uh, they saw him perform miracles. They saw him. They, he fed thousands of people, and they were recipients of his benefits. But then when he started teaching some hard things regarding the the truths of God's word, particularly when it came to identifying with him. He used language like eating my flesh, drinking my blood, meaning in essence, you must take all of me. And they, they walked with him no more. Many of them abandoned him. Uh, probably many of those same people were ones that Jesus mentioned in John 2, where it says they they had a... They believed in him, but short of a saving faith, they believed for a while, but then they walked away. Jesus himself said, I won't, would not entrust myself to them because he knew what was in their hearts. And it brought into that occasion where he turns, Jesus turns to his disciples and, he, and P, he turns to Peter particularly. And he says, you will not go away also, will you? And Peter responds with some of the most... Uh, uh, encouraging words in, in my mind uh, when he says to Jesus, well, to whom else shall we go? For you and you alone have words of eternal life. He is, he is, Peter is in essence putting his eyes on the mirror of his salvation that Calvin called it, getting it back on Jesus and saying, where else are we going to get to go? That's that, that's that humble, persevering faith that God, that God sustains. And one thing I was just sort of thinking of with the parable that we just read is the fact that there's different amounts of like uh, fruit that comes with it, a hundred, sixty, you know. Um, and I was just sort of thinking about that because some Christians get discouraged that like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm not doing all these great things. Like I, maybe I didn't go to seminary or I'm not producing the greatest amount of fruit. Like I'm not a huge missionary, but you're still a Christian even if you don't necessarily produce like the most amount of fruit. I don't think we should be discouraged from 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 not having quote unquote as much fruit as someone else. That was just a thought I had. I think that's certainly the case because I think God points tasks and works differently for everyone. Now there's this, I mean, this is a different topic, but there's a sense of rewards in heaven. Mm -hmm. Different topic for another day. And those rewards are proportional to the deeds that an individual has done. Um, and uh, so I think you're right in that. I think the point the point you're really driving home at is God has called you to be faithful. 
are you being faithful? Where, where are you at with what you, with what you have? A, a great a great uh, way to think about this is from a pastoral perspective. You can have a guy who has a rural church who's been faithfully pastoring that church for thirty years, right? And and the, there, someone could look in from the outside and say, "Where's the fruit?" Right? You've been you've been a, a church of forty people for thirty years, and so we don't see the visible things. But what what the person on the outside probably doesn't know is that that pastor's been faithfully sowing for thirty years, preaching the gospel, and maybe they're, they're growing in their faith, they're growing in their understanding and, and knowledge of God. And but today we, we look we look at that and we poo poo it because what do we have in our culture right now? It's like you got to be blowing the church doors out, and you got to be, you know, pulling people in by droves. That's that's what faithfulness looks like. Or that's what success looks like, or whatever. Yeah. And so we were creating some categories that are just unbiblical and unhelpful when when it comes to understanding uh, what what God is calling a person to do to persevere in their faith. Go ahead, Dean. Well, and that 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 brings up um, that's a dangerous concept, a dangerous measurement, and it reminds me of that haunting passage from Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7 uh, verses 21 through 23 where Jesus says some very shocking things he says that many will say unto me in that day lord lord did we not do all these works did we not yeah. cast out demons did we not did we not have the biggest churches did we not have all this excitement and and he says depart from me i never ever knew you yeah right and that, that, that passage stands as a warning against those who are, in a sense, using Christ for worldly right. game and fame yep. um, and not serving him faithfully. So we're not dismissing like the, con- the biblical concept of fruit. Like our Lord says, you will know them by their fruit. But what's the contrast there? The contrast is with those who don't produce fruit. It's, it seems to me believers with, with non-believers. Right. And so the, the metric for the Christian in terms of understanding their insurance salvation, you know, I can understand people saying, well, are you being are you producing fruit? OK, I get that. But I think there's a higher calling and it's to be faithful. You know, Pastor Bob in rural Iowa, be faithful to preach the gospel to those 40 people in that town of 400 every single week. Faithful. Be faithful to be at their funeral and to, and to weep with those who weep and, and, and to rejoice with those who rejoice, you know, at the wedding. So that's, that's, I think, the more biblical measure to understand um, what our life looks like as we persevere in, in our faith. Logan, you got more? Yeah, I was just simply say, stating that the Christian who bears and yields 30-fold is, has just as much of assurance of faith as the one that produces 100. And you know what struck me in that passage, Logan, in the, in the sower is the things that kind of, it said they had no root in them, mm-hmm. clearly, uh, because what you're going to get, I think it probably would be helpful to, to, to I'm going to give you the, the different views, because there's going to be, there's going to be Christians from different traditions, they're going to look at the parable of the sower, they're going to look at some of these passages that we've been talking about. Um, even the conditionality passages like Colossians 1.23 that I referenced earlier, yeah. and they're going to argue a position that is contrary to ours. So uh, real briefly, I just want to give the, the different views that could be out there because our views, uh, obviously our view is the right view, but <laughs> we all weak we're the reformed view that that is consistent with the scriptures. But there's also other views. There's a more moderate reformed view that 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 emphasizes the eternal security of the believer but doesn't emphasize the warning or conditionality passages. There's, a, there's another view that's probably not widely held today, and it's the Reformed Arminian view rooted in the teachings of Jacob Arminius. Yes, yeah. And what they would hold is that um, back the they would century. hold to the Reformed doctrines of faith, yeah. but they would say you could lose your salvation yeah. and you can't get it back. Right. And then you have Wesleyan Arminians who, who believe that you can, you can have salvation and then lose it, but then you can get it back again, and it becomes a, a yo-yo. Mm-hmm. It becomes a roller coaster ride for the Christian experience. That's why these doctrines matter. Yeah, absolutely. Here's here's a little bit from our confession of faith. For those of you who don't know, we're a confessional church, redemptional church, um, a, a Baptistic Reformed confessional church, to be even more specific. We're unapologetic about those. Um, about those categories and uh, what we believe in our confession of faith is really thorough 
right? So uh, we don't have like, hey, here are 12 two-sentence points on what we believe. We have a, an entire section, um, our Confession of Faith, section 20, on assurance. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about four thick and solid paragraphs, and I'm just going to read the first one. Uh, it's point one, so uh, section 20.1. Although hypocrites and other unregenerate, unregenerate men and women may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and fleshly presumptions of being in the favor of God and the state of salvation, their hope will perish. So that gets back to the parable in which you guys are mentioning, which you read, uh, the parable of the sower, right? You have some people who, who are deceiving themselves that they believe the gospel, but yet their sin finds them out. Uh, there, there is no fruit. It's bad fruit, right? Um, there's clearly zero evidence of faithfulness at any level. Uh, our confession of faith continues. Yet those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, walk in a manner worthy of Christ, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in a state of grace. That's really important, a state of grace. Like we, that's how we live our lives, by the grace of the gospel the grace that runs through Christ in our lives. They, us, us, who are assured of our salvation because of the state of grace in which we live in, uh, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and this hope will never make them ashamed. That's a really strong statement. That's just on the outset of what it means um, to be a Christian and to be assured, and, and, and a person who is not assured, right? And this goes back to what I was kind of saying earlier, Dean, the church is full of people who have a false assurance. Right. And eventually some, some things find them out. Sin. Like if I would say if I had to pick one thing in which if I had a tether back, what is it that ultimately found them out? It was that their sin revealed their true identity. And when that when their sin became like public or whatever, they they were unwilling to repent and they walked away. And that's how we knew they were not assured of their salvation. They were unwilling to persevere. And well, that was bad you read from that confession. I'll just read briefly from this one. Uh, yeah. It's from the Westminster. It oh, says, come on. It's not <laughs> as good as ours. Well, you got it from ours. You stole that from <laughs> this. I guess the 1689 <laughs> stole from the this Westminster. This perseverance <laughs> of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession and Preservation. Wait, just a sec. See, should stick with intercession of Jesus six, Christ. Stick with the sixteen eighty nine Dean. The abiding spirit, because it's triune. It's a triune God that is preserving us. The abiding, the sealing of the spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the seed of God Jesus within them, and it, it goes on to say that nevertheless, we as believers, the church, may go through temptations of Satan and of the world the prevalency of corruption remaining in them because we're sinners and the neglect of the means of grace, of their preservation, we can fall into grievous sins and continue for a time whereby we incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit. Um, our consciences being wounded, our hearts hardened, we, we can hurt and scandalize others and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. But it ultimately says we do not fall finally or fully, we they come back into the fold. So there, it, it's it's that waxing and waning, not only of assurance, but it's also that waxing and waning of our obedience and our faithfulness yeah. to God. So, um, just gonna hit up our confession of faith, which indeed did steal from the Westminster. And when we say in point four of section twenty, true believers may have the assurance of their salvation shaken, diminished, and interrupted in various ways. This can happen by by. Uh, the negligence and persevering. But eventually, when we get to the end of that particular section, it says, ultimately, though, yeah. they are assured of their salvation. They persevere until the end. So in the parable of the sower, you saw certain things that came in. You saw persecution for the word. Right. You saw uh, tribulation. You saw the cares of this life, the love of the world. Um, Jesus said in John, Jesus never said he would just solve our problems. No. And so a lot of people come into this Christianity thing not with their eyes wide open. No, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Yeah, Christianity is not unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> you know, And we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. What do we see fairly early in the Sermon on the Mount? That we will be persecuted. And the, and the hope 
as we go through trials, and we will Correct. go through trials, Absolutely. Is, is First Peter. This is, I wanted to bring this in. First Peter yeah. chapter one. It says that um, you know God caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of mm. Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. There's that preservation of the saints through faith, through faith. That's that's our part in a sense for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this greatly. You greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the realization of Jesus Christ. And so those trials have a way of enhancing our assurance as we hold fast to Christ. Absolutely. It's a, our, our, our trials and our sufferings are a tremendous opportunity to draw near to God and to allow God to continue to work in us. And so that's why we count it a joy to go through, to be, to suffer. Right. Um, I can imagine some people listening, Logan, uh, they're going to go to passages like Hebrews six verses <laughs> four to nine. And then they're like, wait a second. And I'm going to admit this. There are some ch- more challenging texts that, from a reform perspective, we don't want to explain it away. You know, um, we don't want to do some hermeneutical magic tricks. We want to be honest about the text, but I think we can find um, good explanations for what the author of Hebrews is saying. Um, I tend to think it's Paul. Some people think it's Barnabas, but whoever. Uh, it's anonymous. Most people these days say anonymous. So. Logan, go ahead and uh, we we need to define a particular term that's going to come out of approaching some of these texts, particularly in the book of Hebrews, and it's the term apostasy. It's an important term for our listener to know. Um, can you define apostasy? And then, and then, Dean, um, go ahead and read the text first, Dean. Oh, sure. And then, and then, Logan, define apostasy and what we how we should be interpreting this particular text. All right, well, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through Hebrews. 6. Did I say Hebrews? Yeah. Did I say Ephesians? Oh, no. Hebrews, definitely. Okay. Hebrews 4, 4 through 6. Um, the anonymous writer writes, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Is that all you wanted me to read? Fantastic. So we kind of see the definition of apostasy in this text, and we've actually kind of already talked about it uh, through this podcast, mostly using the term in this text, falling away. So the way I see apostasy, and I think this is the biblical biblical definition, is apostasy, apostasy is when someone is a part of the church. They proclaim that they, the visible church, um, so the people that you see on Sunday, they say that they believe in Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they seem to be living the Christian life. But in time, they grow to forsake the Christian faith, to denounce what they say that they once believed, and to walk away um, from the church, from holy Christian living, um, and from Jesus and his gospel. That is what apostasy is, oftentimes just called falling away. So, Hebrews 6, right? Yeah, Hebrews 6. Cool. Um, and I And so people will appeal to this passage... And it definitely describes apostasy, but people, it de- depending on what theological position you're coming from, um, if you're coming from our historic reform uh, position, we're going to say that this dis- that, that, that this passage here does not teach that you can lose your salvation as some would teach and use this passage, um, because the point of the passage is, in my mind, I don't see any. The, t- the traditional salvation words, for instance, 
Do you see justification in there? Do you see do you see the election? Do you see forgiveness? Do you see um, glorification? Uh, the the Ordus Salutis in Romans chapter eight right. talks about all of those things right. in the past tense, meaning they're in God's mind, we're already glorified with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, here, these terms, there's many ways you can interpret it, and I don't. We probably don't have a time on the podcast here to discuss them, but I could just sum it up to say that the same ver- things that are found in this passage could be said of Judas Iscariot. Exactly. I mean, Judas is he tasted an unfortunate but excellent example of apostasy. Yeah. Which Christ knew, by the way. <laughs> you know, we, we stop and ponder. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. Christ, our Lord, knew that Judas was going to be the apostate. Uh, regarding the Hebrews text here, Dean and Logan, uh, you know, I want folks to resist the temptation uh, when they think about the Calvinism versus Arminian debate, you know. Uh, preservation of the saints or you know you can lose your salvation those two particular categories resist the temptation to think of this of, as like um a weight a way to balance like there are more texts that say that uh we will persevere to the end than there are texts that say that we will not persevere to the end like these hebrew texts i used to think that when the lord saved me i thought i thought to myself oh hey there are just more passages that talk <laughs> about this and there's less to talk passage what was going on in my head at the time is I've just poor interpretation. <laughs> yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a, a, a bad understanding of these texts from Hebrews four and Hebrews six. Um, what's going, what we need to do is rightly interpret the text. And once you realize there's actually only one side of the scale, there's no other side. And, and I mean, at the, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I truly believe these texts actually point us toward a perseverance of the saints or a preservation of the saints. Yes. And we, go ahead, Logan. I know you said you wanted to maybe not get into Hebrews 6, but I think it could be important to get into Hebrews 6. So instead of okay. being. Well, because this is probably like the text that someone would go to. So instead of being the devil's advocate, I'm going to be the Armenian's advocate. Who is the author of Hebrews, Paul? Uh, describing when he says the person who has tasted the heavenly gift or who has been enlightened or who or who has shared in the Holy Spirit and has tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age have come. Who is that describing? Because I think that our meetings would say that that is describing the Christian and they would even point to Judas Iscariot and they could argue Judas was saved and became an apostate and fallen away. Let me respond to that one. Yeah. There, Jesus, look at the way Jesus dealt with Judas Iscariot and Peter. Notice the distinction. They're all at the, they're at the table. They're all at the Last Supper. At the very end, as they're partaking of the Last Supper with Jesus, the disciples in their entirety, none of them have full assurance Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And, and they're like asking each other, is it I? Is it, who is it? They're literally, there's doubt. And then Jesus turns to Judas and says, go do what you have to do. In contrast, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And and Peter says, no way, no way. And, 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 and Jesus says, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. And when you turn back, not if, when you come back, shepherd your disciples. So there's a different approach. John 17, in his high priestly prayer, why do I believe in preservation of the saints? Because Jesus prays it. John 17, real briefly, and then we'll get back to the text. Jesus is praying to his Father in heaven, and he says, Holy Father, keep them, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. He's the shepherd of the sheep, John 10. 
and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition. But Jesus called Judas a devil from the very beginning. So, so the scripture would be fulfilled. So the point is, yes, they will use Judas, but they cannot prove that he was actually regenerate when Jesus is actually calling him a devil. Yeah, let me let me give you my thoughts on the on the text from Hebrews. Sure. And I think you um, juxtaposing, you know, Judas is, is right here and helpful, and Peter as well. The, here, here are some thoughts. Um, when you look at verses four, five, and six, you have to ask the question: What does it mean for someone to share in the Holy Spirit, taste the goodness of the Word of God, um, taste of the heavenly gift? Right. It's not saying they had it, but they were in a place where they were seeing it at work, right? So, like, I think of, a, go back to the Judas, and I'll make a contemporary example. Judas was there with Christ. He was with the disciples who would go upon to faithfully preach the gospel. In a very real sense, he was sharing in the work of God. When someone comes to our church and they see a bunch of people who love Jesus and are singing worship to God, they're in a sense very much sharing in the activity in which is going on. And they're on. tasting the good word of they're, God. They're tasting it. They're hearing it, right? And, and maybe, maybe it's even helping them think about spiritual matters or whatever else have you, right? Um, it's not saying that those persons have, in a very real sense, have been saved and sealed. It's that they, they, they see what's going on. Go ahead, Dean. Oh, I... I was just going to say, too, you've got to consider that the audience here is probably strongly Jewish. And so there's, there's um, That's a good point, allusions actually. to the Old Testament, Old Testament language, and how the people of God basically— Bo- Book of Hebrews is the finest exposition of the Old Testament. <laughs> exactly. And so right. there, are different, there are actually different Reformed understandings of this. Some will look at it in the Old Testament context and see Old Testament allusions here. And they could be applied to the people that wandered in the wilderness and were not— a part of the people of God truly. Or some people see sacramental language where you have people within the covenant community <laughs> um, who have experienced uh, perhaps oh, baptism. Yeah, yeah, no, continue. I got baptism go, 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 go. <laughs> and all in the Lord's table. They're part of the covenant community, but they may not be necessarily true, re- to, truly regenerate. That, or, well, you just made my point. Okay, I'm not even going to say it. That's exactly where I was headed. Because I think of those who were part of the covenant community. Even in the Old Testament. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly my point. And so I think I think with that context in view, we can look at this and, and understand with more clarity of what's going on. Now, you have more retorts or thoughts? No, I was going to say that I'm in shock that the books of the Hebrews restores the Jews. Huh? You guys, the context is that this is a Jewish audience, and it's the book of the Hebrews. Books of the Hebrews. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't ding. I didn't have an a- actual point. I think part of what you're getting at is it's kind of like um, what uh, the author of Hebrews is describing here is someone that is tasting a meal and sampling a meal but not actually partaking feasting it. they're Feast. not they're not eating the flesh of Christ and drinking his blood right they're not actually part of the, the party and and also if you hold That's it the, and if you do hold the fact that if if you do hold the fact that these are people who lose their salvation it says they can't get it back yeah. so you have to be consistent and that would be consistent with reformed Arminianism right which is not in style these days. Not really. You don't hear it as much, but yeah. Okay, we've covered a lot of a lot of uh, distance here in a short amount of time. Um, those are the, probably the most difficult passages that we one would have to contend with from a reform perspective. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Or at least are the most common ones that come up as the retort. And I think Logan, you asking some good questions regarding that is, is helpful. I think it helps us to really it, for, it forced us into interpreting the text instead of just glossing it over and, and moving on. So final thoughts on this, Dean, from you. Yes, I want to speak to that person that actually is struggling because we all do. We mm-hmm. all struggle with assurance. And um, we can rest assured that because of Christ, we can have an eternal hope now that we don't have to, to, to despair. But we do go through those times. And I heard this from, I, I like going back to R.C. Sproul. He, he counsels believers this way he says he asked the question to that that struggling christian he very rarely runs well let me let me ask the question he says do you love jesus the biblical christ perfectly the biblical christ the the true christ biblically do you like do you love him perfectly most 99.9 percent unless you're a perfectionist you know one of those guys 
uh, 99% will say no. And then he'll follow up that question with, do you love Jesus Christ as much as you ought to? Well, if you answered no on the first question, then you have to answer no on the second one because we should love Christ perfectly. None of us do. None of us do. Then he asks the third question. He says, well, do you love Jesus Christ, the biblical Christ of the Bible, at all? Do you have any sincere affection for him? And if you can honestly say yes, and, and of course we would say yes, then that only, he, he would, R.C. Spur would argue that only a truly regenerate person could have any love and affection for Christ. Imperfect as it is, weak as it is, to, and, and to, be, to be among those who are called. And by the way, we are called to make certain of our election According to Peter, first Second Peter chapter one verse ten. I don't think we brought that verse up earlier. So we are commanded to pursue that, to pursue full assurance, and it's a fight all the way to the end because of sin. Um, a book that I would recommend for those that are struggling, as I as I finish that thought, is the great book by Richard Sibbs called The Bruce Reed, where he helps Christians who struggle with assurance. Good. Um, for my final thoughts, I was thinking about, I had one professor who's, who was a classical Armenian and he talked about the assurance of, of salvation and his description of the assurance of, assurance of salvation was that as long as that I have faith, I am going to be saved. Like there's Christ will not fail as long as that I have faith. And to me, that is no assurance at all at all. And just like I said before. If I can screw up, I will. And you're kind of speaking to that right now. We can't love perfectly and we can't have faith perfectly. But we have a God who is perfect and who is faithful. I think we mentioned this text already before, but he who began to work in you will finish it. There's there's another great one too in Second Timothy. says, I love this. I, I've got to say this because it hasn't been said. I know whom I have be- believed and am, am able, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And so, yes, our assurance is not in our faith. It's not in our works, not even in our love. It's in Christ, in Christ alone. Um, section 20.3 of our Confession of Faith, middle of the paragraph, it says, Therefore, it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, and as a result, his heart may be enlarged in peace and in joy in the Holy Spirit, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, which are the proper fruits of this assurance. So this assurance is far from inclining men to licentiousness. Here's my Here are my final thoughts. Um, and it, this is to specifically the Christian pastor, the Christian minister, the seminarian student, into anyone who is questioning their assurance of salvation because of sin, right? It could be that one-time sin. Uh, it could be that perpetual sin that you just can't rid of, right? And you're just like wondering, what is the way forward? Is it worth it, you know, to persevere? And my word would be to repent, the act of repentance is the faith of Christ working in you. Uh, and the reason why I, I specifically take this angle is a couple of reasons. One, repentance is like lost within the evangelical church at large, right? We, we saw the Catholics have this, you know, thing called repentance and we dismissed it outright where a repentance is a grace. It is a gift. And, uh, repent and then turn to Christ repent of your sin and turn to Christ um, so I think I think when you do that you begin that's that's fruit right repentance is fruit like when you when you come to God with a sincere heart and you know it is the faith of Christ in which your salvation is assured uh, repentance is, is a fruit that we see in which can can bring you back um, not in the sense of like you lost your salvation, that's not what I'm saying, but into a sweet relationship with Christ, right? That dry season because of sin, you know, all of a sudden the grace tube just, you get showered with grace. So that, that would be a little bit of my final thoughts because I, we know 
a lot of people who've struggled yeah. for various reasons. But oftentimes, well, it's to, to piggyback on your thought, I saw a clip by Joel Beakey. He yeah, said that uh, he said that low levels of holiness will produce low levels of assurance. Yeah. And and the whole point of and so you, what you're saying is we need to run to Christ on a consistent and daily basis uh, mm-hmm. to as we stay close to Christ, our assurance will be heightened, our holiness will be heightened, yeah. and our repentance will be heightened. That's good. Yeah, Joel Beakey's good stuff. All right, I think that covers most of the bases here. There's always more to say, especially when you. I got two sterling theological minds in this room. One Logan Haddon Kane over there. Logan, Logan Stephen Kane. Oh, wait, you're Haddon Spurgeon. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> and then Dean Calvin Klein. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, and I'm just Sean Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. Oh, you want to say something? Go for it, man. As you said in the beginning, you have nothing intelligent to say. <laughs> Austin Powers, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We appreciate you taking an interest in this podcast. Uh, please uh, like and share uh, with your friends. Uh, get the word out. We're just trying to offer uh, good theology um, from the cornfields here in the state of Iowa. And we know that people listen all around the country and all around the world. Thank you uh, for that. Uh, please do all the relevant things on your social media outlets or YouTube, whatever the case might be. And uh, we hope it's a blessing to you. If you're in the area, in the Des Moines metro uh, we meet at Radiant Elementary. Redemption Hill Church meets at Radiant Elementary on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. That's a place where you can hear reform preaching. You see a bunch of believers come together and worship Christ together. It's a blast. We love it. And if you want to join us one Sunday or multiple Sundays or become a member, come on by. Love to have you. Uh, take care, everyone. God bless and peace out. Bye. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.